Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leaders of Engineering podcast. I am very happy to be joined by Sai Jobling, who is currently Engineering Manager at ASOS and has a previous stint at an Alibaba subsidiary, Yahoo and West Midlands Fire Service. In this episode, we discuss the transition from engineer to manager, where you might have to manage the people you work with, dealing with a career crisis and diversity in tech. So without further delay, let's get into the episode. Sai, thank you for, for joining us uh, today on the podcast. Um, the listeners always love to get an insight into to you and who you are personally. So would you be able to just give us a, an idea of who you are, where you're from? It feels like blind date a little bit, doesn't it? Where you, Who are you, where you're from? <laughs> <laughs> all right Silla. no <laughs> we're aging ourselves instantly aren't we absolutely um so yeah i'll try not to go ramble too much i am sai jobling i like to be called um been around tech for many many years i don't like to push it too much um i'm an engineering manager at a little fashion company called azos um might have heard been of there for since 2013 so about eight years give or take um, and I'll talk about that later on, probably about the career path and stuff. But yeah, um, currently an engineer manager for about nine months now, which is a slightly different role to what I've done before. Um, yeah, father of two, married and all that jazz, living in the Midlands like yourself. So it's uh, it's good to find a fellow geek from the area. Indeed, indeed. It's a small tech um, circle in the Midlands area, isn't it? Everyone seems to know everybody. And they've all we worked together to... at some point. <laughs> it's like the seven degrees of kevin bacon but the seven degrees of tech in birmingham everyone yeah. knows each other. it's a little bit incestuous there's no seven it's about two two, two degrees of separation <laughs> very true very true so you, you said you've been sort of at asos for about eight years now but engineering manager has been a, a recent thing for you how, how have you found that is that a transition from engineer to manager Actually, um, there was a bit of a jump around in the middle of all this. So, yeah, I joined, let's, let's just go back about the eight years. I joined ASOS in 2013 as a web engineer um, based in Birmingham. So I, we had some projects around like the payment process and secure checkout sort of stuff. Um, so I did that and then I was promoted to senior pretty quickly. Actually, I was, I don't know why, but they seemed to recognize <laughs> I, was, I had the potential, which was great. Um Due to some reshuffles, ended up working in London instead from that role. Um, they, the programmer work focused purely on back-end stuff in the end in Birmingham. So they're like, we don't need a web engineer anymore so much. Um, we don't want to lose you, obviously. So maybe look at the options in London instead. And at that point, I went to join what was known as the MVT team, the multivariate testing team, where we did a lot of experimentation around the front-end stuff. So I was sort of technically leading that team a little bit for a few years. Got to a bit of a career crisis mode, I guess. I think it must have been about 2016, maybe 17 at a push. Not sure what the next step was for me. Um, my line manager at the time sort of suggested, you could be a good manager. You got the people skills. I was like, really? Okay, good to know that. Um, and I've got a technical understanding and undercurrent of what's going on. I might want to be the best at doing the tech, but at least I understand the fundamentals and the best practices and stuff. You're like, why don't you think about being an agile delivery manager, which was the kind of catch-all role we had at ASOS at the time. So it's kind of delivery. It was agile coach. It was mentoring and line managing and that sort of stuff. So it was, it was a good hybrid role. A little bit too much. A lot of conflicts of interest in that role, but we'll go into that later. Um so I did that for about two or three years. And then it was actually just before the lockdown pandemic hit, I left 
Um, I've I had an opportunity for a delivery lead role in an Alibaba fintech subsidiary. Um, loads of programs of work to do some integration and stuff like this, West versus East sort of culture stuff. And how do we make sure we keep the agile mindset going in a predominantly waterfall environment? Um, so we're like, yeah, it sounds amazing. What a challenge. Let's do it. And quickly realize we haven't got that much influence, unfortunately. We are a very small cog in the massive Alibaba system. Um, we still persevered and tried and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I did what I could from my personal people, community perspective. Um, but in the end, it just wasn't for me. So I looked around to see what was going. Azos said, we've just created this new engineering manager role, knowing that we want to focus more on people development and community and stuff like that. Does that interest you? I was like, uh, yes, it does. I'm Good. really interested by this. And there we go. So that was the sort of five minute was a stop tour of my time at ASOS and now engineering manager. Wonderful. And how did you find that transition to manager then? How was that for you? Because you said you had a, a really good understanding of the tech, um, but maybe not um, as as geeky about it as some engineers we may uh, have met in the past, but yeah. how, how was that transition to manager for you? Was that an easier step or was it was it was it a challenge for you? There were some elements that were harder than others. So because I'd been around for long enough and understand enough people to know who was responsible for what, I had that sort of relationship that was needed to be a, a, an effective manager, not sort of going, oh, leave it with me, I'll find out. It's like, yeah, yeah you go and speak to them guys and I'll and let me know if you need any help. So that that instantly was like one of the, I think it's one of the skills I had that helped in the transition. Uh, and that was from doing a lot of these, building the solutions with product managers, with data science, with analytics, with whoever else it was involved, designers, you know, it's, I love that part of what I did as a front-end developer. Um, and I must admit, we spent w- way too much time at points just chatting rather than doing the work. <laughs> We're sitting around the screen, going off on tangents, going, anyway, are we happy with this design now? Yeah, cool, let's ship it. <laughs> it was that sort of um, environment. Um, the, some of the areas I did struggle with, though, it was around the people management because I was sort of transitioning from being a peer and a teammate to their line manager mm. and having that um, new context, I guess, was difficult to let go of being a mate and be more of a manager. Yeah, And, you know, we could go, go into the depths of a good manager, leader and that sort of stuff. I was always trying to be the leader, but at times, you know, you've got to get tough. And that, that was the bit I really struggled with, uh, being really honest, blunt feedback with my mates was not an easy thing to change. So what happened eventually, I was in that team for probably about six to nine months and I changed team. So I had a completely different group crew to work with. I knew these guys, but I wasn't like teammate level before. It was just coming in as a new manager. So they knew what my remit was and I had that fresh canvas to kind of change my attitude a little bit and use it to my advantage and and everyone's really, but you know what I mean? I wasn't sort of, oh, I can't break this news to my mate. I can't. I'm going to have to be really, I can I can do it in a new scenery now. It was easier. Yeah, I mean, a lot of engineers will go through that stage where they become engineering managers, where they'll immediately become the line manager for the people that they were working with day to day. Is it, mm-hmm. do you, would you recommend that if, if that's a path that you were considering, that that clean break is almost what you actively seek? I think there's pros and cons to this. Um, so now I am an engineering manager and I'm working with engineers that are looking for the next career step. 
Um, the natural one for some is to be a lead engineer that does have a bit of a line manager responsibility. But because they've got the context on their domain or in their tech or whatever it is, they fit quite well. It's an easier step for them to kind of go, right, I know where I'm working. I know who I'm working with. So I can just take on those new skills and do it in a safe place. But I think you need to kind of be mindful of that line manager responsibility. And if it's necessary, maybe some matrix management might help or shift in team just to kind of coach and work out your, your, your personal skills, your people skills in a different environment. Um, so I, I don't think there's a yes or no answer to this. I think it's more like, it, again, classic tech, it depends how comfortable you are with your people and how honest you are with them already. Or if you are really chubby, you probably need to take a fresh break just to stay close, but not in. So at least you've got that opportunity to bounce your ideas around a bit more as well. And you, you said you spent some time as like agile delivery manager. What sort of skills and things did you take from that into your, your current role? Um, I, I, it's funny because when we use the phrase agile, everyone goes, oh, well, you're a scrum master. Not, actually, not really. It was, yeah, some teams were scrum or, you know, a, a version of scrum that was close. So again, I was like, great, I can be delivery minded. I can think about finishing stuff. I can think about refining together and doing all the good agile behaviors, taking them skills into the engineering manager role. Because our, our engineering, I can't say it, engineering manager role at ASOS is slightly different to what the industry do. Because we don't have the delivery responsibility and we're not doing the tech stuff so much, we, we don't have that accountability. We're more there for people development, personal development, professional development, well-being, community, culture, and the, the softer, fluffy stuff that kind of feels fun, you know? Um, but I can use my agile background and delivery background to help my people rather than doing it so i can observe on stand-up going hmm, this guy needs a little word just to kind of focus on delivery or you know what what work next time we need to do a retro on this or you know you you arrange a retro i'll give you some complete you know some supportive material if you want or observe in the mode um I don't need to be responsible for that, but at least you've got my background to support you in that sense. It's, it's an interesting approach that you've got at ASOS then where you have engineering managers who just focus on the people. Do you have other engineering managers who are not technical at all then? Yeah, funnily enough, this morning we were chatting to a few other engineering managers they, well, we've all got tech backgrounds in different extents. I'm quite lucky that I've got the hands-on in ASOS quite fresh. And some of these guys have done it like 20 years ago. You know, the, the last time it was just a bit of code was a bit of Pascal or something that's just dead now. now it's not that bad, but we, we said, oh, at least I could pull back my SQL skills and we'll do some data analysis. We went, oh, yeah, that's probably the one bit of code I can do nowadays. So there are there's a mix of people that have got a very delivery mindset that I've never really been the people side. There's some people that have got some technical background, but I think we, by the nature of what we're trying to create as a community in ASOS, we don't want loads of ex-techies in the EM role. We want a, a mix of people, delivery, culture, community, you know, all the, whatever is relevant to help grow the whole role. Mm. How, how do the engineers feel about that? It's a good question because we're actually going through an exercise right now where um, we're defining the role. Clear, more clearly okay. it's about a year old now so we had an idea when we started 
this is the sort of stuff you want you to go after. We're a year in now. What's working? What's not working? There you go. Let's do a little bit of a retro around how it's going. But we're bringing in the engineers to that conversation. It's not going to be another, oh, what do the EMs think they should be doing? What do the, their stakeholders think they're doing and their line managers? Actually, your direct reports are probably the most valuable person in that conversation to really give you blunt, honest feedback. Let's be frank, tech is the best at this, aren't they? So Absolutely. <laughs> in the right environment, <laughs> you can get techies to be really blunt and honest, but it can be brutal at times, unfortunately. And that's not always a bad thing, right? You get, at least you get to the source of the truth really, really quickly. Indeed. You just have to be in the yeah, right I mean, mindset. you get, th- get thick skin over years in tech, don't you? I don't know about you, but after 20 odd years, I'm starting to realize you, you choose your battles and just take it with a pinch, in, you know, pinch of salt absolutely absolutely so just going back to um, alibaba a little bit then what what was what were the things that you hoped to get out of that role which sort of didn't materialize where do we start uh, <laughs> to be honest i was fascinated by the scale of what they were doing at alibaba you know we, we I'm, I'm quite lucky at azos where we've got substantial scale anyway you know from a market leader in effectively in math fashion fast fashion and tech mm-hmm. um the only competition really is like Amazon and then and Alibaba. And they were like, wow, if I can learn how they do it and make little improvements there, I'll be very happy, you know, um, and not being, I don't, I don't want to bite off more than I could chew because when I went through that interview process, they said, this is going to be a hell of a challenge. Are you up for this? I was like, mm-hmm. I'm bored at the other job at the moment. Let's do it. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, we're looking at, we obviously had like a, a UK or a European based organization they're, they're a startup that was bought out so they had that vibe of like you know startup world not necessarily the most effective in delivery or you know in quality but it, they were getting things done it works alibaba went this looks works let's have a piece of that what i was trying to do is replicate as much as possible to move into that chinese uh, so the east and west mix in the ways of working um but using the best parts of both let's be frank you know agile can create a lot of waste you know waterfall it's got its pain points but it generally gets things done and because you hold accountable to those deadlines and stuff so you know i was like well i like the fact we've got a goal date let's use that in our sort of plan um the raid log system is it's horrible but actually by doing that regularly with your stakeholders you can visualize all the good stuff which what we like from agile is like visualizing that information so it was just trying to use that and create like this agile we call it an agile toolkit, effectively, of doing a mix of agile. In fact, I think I did a talk locally in my time there, you know, publicly about how we made agile kind of work. Um, so that, that, that they were the things that we were going after, really, is just trying to preserve the the startup vibe of the the UK part, integrate it with the the Eastern enterprise, a huge monolith of it was a monolith app but it's like the monolith of the environment and the organization and uh yeah and unfortunately it just didn't quite work out for what i was looking for it, mm. i was really missing the hands-on part of being in the tech as well so as a, i effectively became program manager um doing all the reports the plans occasional check-ins with the teams but it was only really stand up to check on progress and, you know I, I, it felt wrong to me and i was missing the hands-on part of what we were working on do you need any help? Hang on a minute. You can go and speak to these guys. Let's do some dependency management now. Yay. We're mixing it up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you said you had a, a career crisis at some point, and that's one of the drivers mm-hmm. for driving, for joining Alibaba. 
did you feel that that move gave you clarity over what you wanted to do? In hindsight, yes. I don't think at the time I realised, you know, I was, I think I was attracted to the lights a bit always. It was like, wow, it's Alibaba, it's mm-hmm. extra money, it's all this other stuff. You'll be flying up to China occasionally to do the work. Cool. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a good job. And it doesn't mean that the the, the culture that you, you're looking for is right. I'll be careful what I say, because, you know, they're doing things and it works and they're getting things done. They're making the money. They're not going anywhere. I just felt like it wasn't me and anyone who knows me, I'm very people focused. I love being involved in the community stuff more than anything else. And there was none of that. And I don't think there ever will be, unfortunately, because the way that they, their culture is. So um, bringing back to the career crisis part, I was more like, I'll need to try it at least. And I even said to my wife when I did it, she was like, I don't know if it's going to be for me, but I need to try it because I'm feeling stagnant at the moment. I mean, only by doing that within six months, I was like, I'm not happy. I need to do something else now. I've, I've had that opportunity to reflect. I've learned what I can and can't do. I'm starting to realize my skills and strengths and what I want to go after long-term. And I feel like by doing that, I went through a few other interviews as I was trying to leave the Alibaba system. Um, and again, I got to the end, final stages, got offers. I was like, not sure it's what I want. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, and But when ASOS came up with this specific role, it felt right. I was like, yeah, people know I am ASOS. Oh, yeah, look at Cy with his hair. Of course he's ASOS. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's wonderful. But, hair. There's no video to this podcast, but it's wonderful. <laughs> well, I do try. It's the Ken of Barbie. <laughs> I've got a picture on the website everyone can see now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think people, when I ask people, like, you know, they saw I wasn't happy in the role. They, they, they sensed things weren't right. I think lockdown wasn't helping matters at all because I was, I was missing the people, the vibe of it all. That's not changed much with ASOS, but now that we're in this sort of weird transition period, mm. I can go to the office. I can go and meet up with some people. Yesterday I was in the office in London, see my line manager and a few other engineering managers, and it just felt right, you know, and the vibe of being in the canteen surrounded by a load of millennials with their cool clothes. That's where I stand now. <laughs> There's a couple of points there that, that are quite interesting. Well, I think we'll get to the remote slash hybrid slash in-office working in a minute. But you touched on culture there, which was an interesting one. Alibaba, very different culture to um, ASOS, clearly. And a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on a really good culture. But I think you probably touched on it a little bit, saying the culture depends on who you are as a person. And Ooh. for some people, Alibaba is probably a really good culture mm. where maybe it just didn't fit for you. Would you say that was accurate? I think it's fair. Yeah. Um, I'm still in touch with a few people from the previous gig when, when we were in the Alibaba thing. And a lot of people left. And I'll be honest, a lot of people left because the culture wasn't right for them either. They were mm. missing the startup vibe. They've gone off to other startups now, so they're, they're probably much happier. But there were people like my manager and my peers that were in their element. They loved the program management part of what they did. They were quite satisfied with the way they were working. And I was like, cool, if she, that's for you. They knew when I handed my notice in, my manager instantly said, it's the right thing for you, Si. I know you. You need to, and I really appreciate you being honest. And I'm really thankful for everything you've done so far as well. So I've tried in certain ways to make things a bit more people friendly. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. The culture is important. It comes down to who's doing it. And you do need that buy-in from the top. Um, and again, no faults of where we're at with 
it was Wolf first. So they, they were the part of the company that was being integrated with Alibaba. Their C-suite were really great people. I got on really well with them. I think they set a quite a good example for what they had remit with. But it was that integration with the, the larger system where it struggled a bit and it was just conflicting. You know, like, mm-hmm. we need you to work through the weekends and hours to get things done. And the UK and Europe were like, what? No. It's just, that was, I mean, that's just one part of it, right? Yeah, cultural conflict is is completely different from office culture, isn't it? So, well, that's the other thing. Cause we had like the actual um, geo- geographical culture yeah. differences, not just the organisational ones. So, yeah, I don't know if you find this with your place because it's quite UK centric at the moment. But mm. as you scale out, then you'll find more challenges. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and going back onto the uh, the remote slash hybrid slash office working. Um, mm. so what, what place are you kind of in now so it, it's effectively mostly remote um, the, the the general rule with ASOS now is you, you're in more than you're not that's what their recommendation is um, however for tech they appreciate that techies are much more effective and productive at home anyway so there's no point in enforcing that but they do encourage us to go in at least once or twice a month to catch up with the team, maybe do some of the ceremonies like demos, retros, plannings, whatever you want to do around your agile ways of working. So that's sort of the recommendation. And even still, we're in a place where we don't even need to do that yet. I'm I'm literally doing it for my mental health and well-being and the the team morale is the most important factor for me right now. So, I mean, I've been in probably four times in the last month and that's probably the most I've done since I've been back. and I'm going to try and get into a better habit of doing it maybe once a week, twice maybe when I'm feeling more comfortable and need to. It's more than a need to know to go in rather than you have to go in. Is is that the important difference for you? Um, having the option of having it there rather than being required to have it to go into that office? For me, it is. Um, I mean, going back through all my jobs in time i was always keen to have some balance of home life with my job knowing in tech you can it frustrates you that you don't sometimes so lockdown was actually like a silver lining you know i think a lot of people in tech went finally i don't need to go in all the time (laughs) i was like i know and i think i'm hoping i wish the government would learn this we don't need to be there but obviously there's conflicts of interest because of other things going on um, I think we're quite lucky that at least ASOS are listening. You know, they, we do a, a quarterly feedback form with the whole staff, um, judging how working is going, how happy you are, how effective and productive you are, how good you are with your team. And from doing that, we actually get some metrics out of that. And as line managers, we get visibility at least of what our people are doing. But because of our community in the engineering manager space, we're actually putting all that data together across as many teams as possible to get a proper picture and see if there's any weird nuances going oh, your team's really happy about going in once a week and our team isn't. What are you doing differently? And it's by doing those sort of cross-cutting initiatives in the EM space that we get a better view of how to move forward. And personally, I like the fact that I'm doing this. It feels like I'm not just limiting my view in my little world. I, I want to look outwards a lot more. Mm. That's interesting that you're you're putting data and metrics behind it as well. I think there's very few organisations that are actually doing it to that level but it, it kind of makes sense how, how is that working for you and how did you sort of implement that yes it's it was an org-wide um survey that was rolled out i think start of this year actually um we've done versions of it in the past but now it's really set in stone like every quarter we're going to send out a survey it uses uh, a third-party solution there's a set question list that we always ask and then there's sort of um 
a flex of questions based on topics that might come out from previous rounds or something more recent. So again, at the moment, it was all about, you know, returning to work. And let's ask a few more questions around how people are finding that for a couple of quarters to see if there's any change. Um, I can see that changing next year because it will just become standard. But, you know, then it'll be more something else. It's like, okay, how's hybrid working working for you? And uh, how's your well-being? And all the, all the other factors that you take into consideration. And it is just like a, a rating out of, is that a five or four or something like that, how you feel. And then you've got some nice metrics you can use to sort of get a guide of whether it's good or not, or if it's changed much over a larger sample of data. Did you get a good response from everyone? <laughs> uh, questionable, if I'm honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> um, I think at one point we were getting survey overload, especially in the summer, because we had end of year reviews. We were trying to get all feedback from everyone about each other. There's a few other initiatives going on with surveys. And people were just like, they can't be bothered with the form. Yeah. Like, Another one, really? And I was like, I was trying to encourage it naturally. Like, if we don't get the data, we can't help you. You know, it's, I spent two minutes to do it. Bang, done. And I've got something to work with. Um, typically, engagement is around 60, 70%. So it's not too bad. That's pretty good. But we want to get into the 80, 90 marks to be more accurate because we do find that there might be pockets of people are the 23% that we missed out on. So we don't even know how that team feels. Whereas the other five teams have given us loads of data. So we know they're okay or we know how they're feeling at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to um, change the subjects uh, just a, a little bit because we talked about okay. your role as engineering manager, using the word manager specifically, mm-hmm. where this podcast more focused around um, the word leadership. And sometimes the, the two aren't um, the same. Manager and leader are often very different things. So just first of all, if I could just get your sort of thoughts and feelings on that, and then we'll go into that a little bit. Yeah, it's something that I've I learned quickly um, when I made that transition four or five years ago. What what a good manager is in inverted commas, and we've got leader is, and I do feel like there's a, a a very fine line to get in the right balance as well. Because yeah, ideally a leader doesn't necessarily tell people what to do; they just kind of coach it into them into the right situation or ask the right questions to make sure they're real that people are realizing what they need to do next. But there are times when you need to be really direct and set out the goals and the plans or form help form those plans because no one's really taking that responsibility. So that's where I feel like as the agile delivery manager, where we were in that role, we did have to facilitate a lot of stuff, whether it's through agile coaching or facilitating the, man- the, the plans and projects and whatever else needs to be done. So I, I was very lucky in that world when in that time actually we had a massive community of about 45 of us i think maybe 50 at one point we get together every month we do a lot of coaching and um, workshops together to talk about how better to work and it was amazing how many little bits you picked up even you thought you knew it all you're like wait that's how you do it i like what you're doing there i'm going to take that away uh and i do feel like that was the best way to learn of how to be a good leader rather than just managing, micromanaging the crap out of everyone and making sure they're doing everything to the nth degree. Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? That's not going to help anyone, is it? Absolutely, absolutely. Was there a moment where you, I mean, I'm asking you this, assuming that you have, was there a moment when you recognised yourself as a leader? I've never seen myself as a leader. This is my problem. I'm always, (laughs) people say, oh, you're a good leader, aren't you? Am I? Great, at least you recognised it, that's cool. 
I think I, just, I just only through those moments when people give you that feedback, maybe in the end of your reviews and stuff like that, you, you hear little comments going, I, I like the way Cy did that, or I like the way that Cy helps us connect with these people to do these things and whatever it was that helped them to grow and be better as a collective. I hear those triggers and I'm like, good, I'm doing the right job. That's all that matters to me. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I'm really bad at taking positive feedback though. This is my, my problem generally I, I don't recognize the my strengths i just focus on the areas of improvement generally that's another engineer trait that right there traditionally yes <laughs> although some aren't i must admit I've, I've got a few guys that are like no i'm awesome well, give me give me give me anything that i'm not good at <laughs> definitely definitely so now that you sort of recognize those traits as uh, as, as representing leadership do you easily see them in other people who may not see them in themselves even if they aren't inhabiting that manager role good question actually because it is through that leading by example that you start to identify other people doing similar things and it's it's i must admit there's there's opportunities when i've done things myself and realized i should let them do this this is this is definitely a better thing for them to focus on more than me and then i can just kind of go yo this thing needs doing are you able to do it for me instead? Because I, there's no point in me replicating it if you can do it and get more value out of it. Um, and it might not be about a technical delivery. It might be like a cross-cutting initiative. It might be some sort of training or upskilling or something, or maybe even creating a little bit of a community around a topic they're really passionate about. Rather than me doing it for them, I was like, all you need to do is set up a little Teams channel, set in like a weekly or monthly meeting to chat about it, get the conversation flowing you don't need me to do this for you, but they are can go look at how I've done it with X. Uh, for example, we've done lightning talks over the last six months. We didn't have that platform for people to do that, you know, regular sharing and learning. So I set it up and uh, by doing that, it gave them a platform to replicate rather than just rely on, you know, I wonder if I might ask you about diversity a little, um, it would be great to understand what challenge you've had sort of in the area area of diversity. Uh, there's a huge amount of work going on in tech right now around diversity and equity and inclusivity. And a lot of work has gone into understanding what makes it is a diverse team and then building more diverse teams. But that doesn't always mean that individuals in, the, in those teams have equity of opportunity. And then you've got to ensure that all individuals feel included can be included but even then even if you build diverse equitable inclusive teams it doesn't always mean that individuals feel like they belong as part of that team or maybe the wider organization so you have to focus on taking DEI to the next level if you're actually going to do it properly and just being a good human being really but then there's the business side of this and there is a lot of evidence to show that having a diverse team is hugely beneficial beneficial to businesses but as a manager you've got to ensure that all of these very diverse individuals are also an effective team right yes uh you made a few good interesting points there actually just because you're bringing these people together doesn't mean that they are going to be a highly functioning gel team so as part of the recruitment process i'll make sure that i bring the whole team into that at some point and it's not to interrogate them it's just to beat get to know them and find out you know are they going to fit and I know from personal experience as well, when back in the um, my Birmingham days, when I was based in the Birmingham office, that was a fundamental part of the recruitment process. It was like, bring him into the office, get him to sit in the office space for like a half an hour, an hour, having a cup of coffee to absorb that culture. Because if they don't feel comfortable there, 
they're not going to be the right fit. It doesn't matter how technically brilliant they are or how much passion they've got. If they don't fit with these people, they're not going to, or they're going to struggle to at least, you know? So as we try to address, you know, all these challenges I've listed out before, it's not like going, yeah, we do it to tick boxes. It's doing it to get a highly functioning team that can work together and have a good banter between each other as well. You know, like some of the teams I'm on, you know, you've got a real mix. Some teams have a long 15 minute chat before stand up, just chewing the cud, you know, and having a, a good laugh about what's been happening over the weekend. Others just get straight into it. You're like, oh, I miss that part of the office. You know, you, you don't get it in remote land as much. I think some people, there's ways of doing it, but it's all about delivery and meeting and getting stuff done rather than, yeah, getting to know each other and, loving each other a bit more you know these are your families these are your work families the way i look at them absolutely i mean we spend we spend the best part of our days with with these people right i mean we, we see our families in the morning and the evening but actually the core of our day the way we're, we're most awake and alert and the core of our week 100%. you know if we do five days a week like for nine hours a day we have more time with these people than we do with our own families so we've got to get on with them and you should have a you should be able to be honest and open with these people but I do find lockdown is just completely thrown out of the window. You know, it's, some teams are going, right, we'll have an afternoon check-in. There's no work. It's just we're going to touch base. And maybe on a Friday afternoon, we'll have a game or something like some online pictosaurus thing or whatever it is, you know. At least they're trying it in little different ways. But until we get back into the office, it's never going to be the same, I don't think. Mm, definitely. Out of interest, then, it's something I've I've noticed a little bit when when – speaking to people on a personal level as a manager um mm. that i felt that people opened up a little more on their maybe personal issues when they were in their own home and i just wondered whether you'd experienced something similar at all i'm thinking about it but i actually read something interesting this morning from um it was on the fellow app um blog because they do some really good stuff around like one to effective one-to-one meetings and there's a there's a point there around the the location to have a really mm. good conversation, and there's pros and cons to it. I was like, have you tried just doing it in the office? Have you tried going for a walk, going to the park or a coffee shop, and to find to get the real honest feelings out of people? I have found remote has been more effective than being in person because they don't get the intensity of like someone just sitting there and looking at you. Tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. <laughs> Tell me how you feel. It, it doesn't it doesn't work. And a lot of these guys, not all, but some of them guys, you know, they don't even turn the camera on, which again, is a contentious point. But by doing that, they're not feeling vulnerable. They can be a bit more honest. And I had a really blunt, honest conversation the day. They, they had their camera off. I, t- I was like, do you want mine on or should I turn it off? Because I do find it weird. I'm just talking to a black void. But no, no, let's turn it off. Let's go radio mode. It's fine. So, um, but by doing it, it just it took away that awkwardness, I guess, of how do I tell this guy eye to eye that I'm not happy? Again, I think that they using it to advantage. If you want to get into the depths of someone's ish personal issues, maybe it depends on the profiling, by the way, a video of a phone call is fine. But I do find that, that I hate to say this. I start profiling all the individuals to see what makes them work and how I get more out of them. Not in, not in that way. It's like, how do I get more work out of them? It's just, how do I get more authenticity out of them? Mm-hmm. This is something that ASUS is really good at driving. It's like, we want to be authentic, brave, and creative. These are our core values. And so if you're not being real with me on our one-to-ones, I can't really help you. 
and, and or I can't help you properly. I can't understand what makes you tick. I can't understand why you're so frustrated about salaries, promotions, getting things done, teammates. I don't know why you've got beef with that guy in the corner because I'm not even getting to observe it. So I, I do have to get creative, let's say. So I, I have tried, you know, arranging a bunch of one-to-ones for those days when we're going to the office. Questionable whether it works, but it's just nice to see them in person. Oh, wait, you're much taller than I thought you were. Nice. How are you? You know, let's not high five just yet. Or fist bump. <laughs> are we all fist bump? Or high five in what we're doing? It's like you just get understanding their personal space and how they like to interact. It's a great way to try that. Um, I know I've rambled a bit on this one, but it's, I, I, there's no silver nugget for me. It's more like try it and see what works and then try something else if it doesn't. And it just keep trying all these different mechanisms that are available to us. That blog post, well, I'll send the link to you actually from um, fellow. It's, it's really quite interesting. It's like the definitive guide to effective one-to-ones. And it, uh, there's a lot of little bits in there. You go, oh, I'll try that. Yeah, that'd be really good. I'll include that in the uh, in the show notes as well. That'd be really, really good to go through. You, you talked about um, leadership traits uh, a little bit earlier, whether the, people notice them in you and you in others. Adaptability is quite a good one. It sounds like you've got that one pretty nailed. Yeah, again, that's something I had to learn. And not not like academically, just in my mm-hmm. practice. I think I've realized as I shifted to the manager role, you need to be able to adapt to to circumstances or external factors. I when I was an engineer, it was quite easy to go, I know what I gotta do for the day, leave me alone and I'll do it. Whereas with a manager, you're constantly getting curveballs and little things thrown at you, and you're like, it's fine, let's just do that instead then. And or you know, even wait, that needs to address, wait, oh, 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 we've got to fix this before we start building that new thing. So who wants to take that? I'll do it. Wicked. Right. Who wants to take the one that we're meant to be delivering as well? I'll take that. Cool. Right. Any, let's leave a buffer then because of some of the crap that's going to hit this effect, you know, the us next. And at certain times of the year, we've got to be more prone to those things. You know, we're going into peak season for us now where all the sales come on. So we're going to be, have to be a lot more flexible with, unexpected changes rather than all the expected changes do you uh, we'll go back to the career crisis problem uh, right at the start <laughs> you like um, scabbing, I, I do like that one i do like that one <laughs> keep picking at it do you feel because you you said you, you like you're getting quite excited about the thought of going through that process and that adaptability pushing things left and right and getting things done is is that is that what's the most fulfilling part of this role for you it is now i think back then i didn't realize why i was made for the role it's only obviously i, was, I had a really use a really good line manager at the time he was, we were good friends uh, so kind of counteracting what i said earlier but he knew what i was strong at and he knew what i wasn't at so he was like you really need to focus on the people part side that's that's where you are in your element and it was only by, by doing it myself and i was quite lucky that there was no solid change it wasn't like right, you're one or the other. It's like, we'll, we'll treat this as, a, as an acting period for six to nine months. And if you like it, you can take it. If we think you're good enough, we'll, you will let you go. And if not, go back. There's no no commitments. So by using that window to really experiment and try things, it was by, uh, again, by example, I'd be in the mode going, I felt much more fulfilled by seeing someone else get something out of that than me. You know, I can go and make a, a web page look like that it would take me a few days, whatever, you know, it's, and I do get satisfaction from that, but I'll get a much bigger kick from seeing other people do it and their satisfaction from doing it themselves as well and supporting them. Cause then they might get to a point where you're going, can't nail this 
freaking bug. Why is it not working? I'm like, <laughs> have you, what have you done so far? And I can go to coach mode. And like, oh, I've, I've debugged it, I've Googled it, and I just can't work out. I have to speak to these people. And right, do you want me to have a look? Do you want another pair of eyes? Do you want someone else to have a look at it? By being able to do that rather than taking it off them. Again, I just can see them going, nailed it. High five. I went, yes. And that's why I like to be the manager because I can just let you enjoy that moment rather than me. Secretly joy inside you as well. Well, I get the, it's, it's a little bit selfish, but I get a kick from them being happy about it, right? And that's why I, I think I'm a better manager than I am a contributor. I do feel like I, I can just get the best out of more people than I can do it for myself. Yeah, I completely get that. Completely get that. It sounds like you've had um, some really healthy relationships from your managers as well. Is that is that accurate? And do you think that's helped you become the manager you are? definitely um and i think it's and it's not just the good ones as well i've had a few managers that i i, I didn't really necessarily agree with um they give me some you know useful advice but i didn't necessarily go that's amazing I'm like really I, I always remember one quote from managers like tighten the thumb screws a bit to get them to work what Ooh, uh, uh, no thanks but we can probably use your metaphor to make sure that they're focused more and I can be the more people, the good cop rather than the bad cop, as I like to play. I like to say, well, who's going to be good cop, bad cop? You be bad cop, I'll be the good cop. I'll bring the sweets and make sure they're working longer hours, if that's what it comes down to. If we need to get things done, no matter what how long it takes, I'll make them comfortable. I'll bring the pizzas in for the night if we have to get up to that point. Rarely did it happen, but occasionally those deadlines were pushing. I think the worst example was GDPR. Everyone was against the nose to get that stuff done by the end of May. It was like a week before we still had loads to do. We're just going to have to put all guns into this this, this week before because we need that testing period after anyway. Um, but it, so that 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 manager, I just learned how not to take on board everything they suggested and take it with a pinch of salt. Going right, why are you doing that? Let me see what else other people are doing in to try and address the way you're addressing that problem. I prefer that approach. I want to do that instead. But going back to my other direct line of managers yeah i've been very very lucky um most have been good i'd must say uh, it's just having a close relationship with them and a genuine relationship with them rather than a fickle check-in where he's like you're all right yeah fine you got anything to talk about nah all right one to one over why did we just book out half an hour for that two second conversation i, I always made the most of it and just going how are you feeling and do it the other way so they're like Oh, no one ever gets to ask me that. My my mind doesn't bother. <laughs> but no, no, but it's it's a one-to-one. It's not you to me or me to you. It's it's Absolutely. a two-way conversation. And I think by managing up well as well to your own managers, it gives you a chance to practice things, I've found as well. So now I am managing more people. I can then go, well, let me try something with my own manager and see if that works. And I can play that back to my people safely that I've experimented already. Um, and having those, uh, yesterday I had a conversation with my line manager and she, she suggested something. I was like, I like the way you pose that question. I'm going to use that next time. I'm in a similar situation or going back to that awful situation going, you know, I'm not going to tighten the thumb screw so much. I might just go, let's just swarm. Let's have a, let's have an afternoon, like in a, in an in office to really get onto the problem and get this sorted rather than messing around for a few hours and getting distracted and coming back to another meeting and not, another day's gone. No, we're just cancelling all meetings, getting this work done. I will bring the sweets and the drinks, whatever it takes to get this done, the coffees. 
And then tomorrow we'll celebrate as well because I'm, I'm going to be pleased if we get this done. Absolutely. It's an interesting aspect that you went into there about that, that managing up. We've been, we, we had a conversation previously um, on, on the podcast about aspects of the job that are not in the job description. The, the job description for for manager, for example, is all about support the team and upskilling and training and coaching and recruiting and things like that. But there's aspects that are not part of that job description, which is often not the nice parts of the job. And it's to do with performance management and things like that. Mm-hmm. But actually managing upwards is not necessarily a negative aspect, but it's definitely not in the job description. I don't think it ever is. And it's a skill that we generally kind of try to observe as a behavior rather than uh, a, a job description bullet point. I do feel like everyone should be able to manage up effectively. And it doesn't matter what level you're at, you're always going to have to do it at some point. If it's, Even if you're the CEO, you'll have to speak up to your stakeholders or shareholders at some point and deliver bad news. Mm-hmm. So having that, that ability to judge the room, judge your audience, effectively get that message across without being a dick about it and it's just like you can soften it without being too fluffy let's say and I, I, it's something I've definitely kind of practiced and changed and adapted over my years as a manager because it happens all the time especially when you're in delivery mode that's the hardest part right he's like we're not gonna hit this deadline in fact taking me back to the Alibaba role one of the first the most amazing meetings I went, ever went to was in the first week I think my line manager at the time was like we're on this program of work this is not going to land. How long has this been going on? Because we're both new, quite new to the roles. It's like, oh, about nine months. It was like, what, what has no one communicated this yet to the big guys? I went, no, no, no. She went, sorry, come with me. And she grabbed the MD at the time. It was like, took him to her room and went, I hate to tell you, this is not going to land by the time you want it for. It's like, wait, what? I went, no. And I'll, get, I'll tell you why. This, that, and that, and that. you got timelines that you're not even estimated. Da-da-da-da-da. The way she did it, though, I was like, oh you've nailed this this is brilliant this is how you do it because she didn't just say it's based on opinion this is the data and facts to prove it's not going to happen and i want to tell you now before you crying a week before i go live why wasn't i told about this it's just having that ability to really just go why wait get on with it no nonsense it's just and i feel like that was one of the best things i ever learned in that role is just being really blunt and honest up front rather than softening the you know the approach and I also learned in that role again when, when I was writing the, the progress reports. If it's a red, make it red. Don't don't make it amber or green. Just say it's red. That will get their attention. They'll come and have a conversation with us. Try to help you solve it. Otherwise, we can call it and just be you know make a, make a judgment based on facts rather than opinion again. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely back to that analogy about good cop, bad cop. Actually, there's a place for bad cop. Oh yeah. And I, I hate being that guy sometimes, but it, it, you have to. And that's just why you pay to be a manager, unfortunately. You're not, you're not there to just push the trolleys and make the teas or build a thing and ship it. You are there to communicate all the good and bad stuff. And I do feel like, again, the communication skills you get from being in the management role, so transferred. You, you don't have to be in tech anymore. You could take that anywhere, right? But luckily, I love tech, so I'm not leaving that stuff. That's <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> So away from um, learning from other people, then line managers, uh, other great leaders that you've you've seen, what what other places do you take inspiration from? Books, podcasts, things like that. Mm. I've mentioned um, fellow.app. They've got a super managers podcast that I do listen to frequently, not all the time. It's a podcast, right? Um, but they, they've got loads of great guests coming in talking about how 
other leaders work and get again i, I learned something this week about i can't remember he said it was just the, the acronym was wait it's like why am i talking and just hearing that going oh i like the wordplay but also it's a great thing you can share with anyone because again as a good leader i should not be talking all the time he says on a podcast by the way <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i re really recommend the super managers podcast I, I, i'm i've been subscribed for probably nearly a year actually and um aiden who hosts that he seems to know his stuff but he's also got really useful connections i think through building the app he's built up some really useful connections but um that's a good one i i, I do try to listen to a mix of podcasts so i don't want to get too bogged down in just tech and leadership stuff mm -hmm. and if I'm honest, I don't like to read too much nonfiction. When I'm reading, I want to turn off and enjoy. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Indulge in some ridiculous sci-fi nonfiction stuff. Um, but I do listen to like the Indie Hacks podcast. So that's still quite tech. It's not necessarily leadership, but it's all about product building and getting to market. And the ways of working stuff fascinates me and how they get that thing out there. And it also taps into my little side projects. Um yeah, stuff that I like to spend a lot of time on. Um, what else do I do? I, I mean, like I say, I do read a lot, but it's not necessarily um, advice. I, I, a lot of blogs and Twitter, you know, streams come through occasionally that I like to follow. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, actually, from the Twitter sphere. The infinite um, scroll. It is amongst all the government and jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> and actually, that's a good point. So, on the podcast front, I listen to a lot of comedy and I do feel like by listening to those podcasts, they have a really interesting interview technique that we can use as line managers. Again, I love Adam Buxton. I love the way he speaks to these people genuinely interested in what they're saying and how he shifts the conversation around and even challenges it at a time. I'm like, Oh, the way he did that. I like that. And as a podcaster, I'm also taking it home to my own podcast. Like, I'm going to think about how I can do a roaming walk through the field to record my intros and outros. Cause that's, I love how he does that. Um, so yeah, like I say, reading material, I'm not one for literature generally, but if I do find something, I'll generally just kind of go, what am I getting from it? I might highlight it on the Kindle and save it for later. So I've got a, a reference later on. Um, there was a few, actually there's a few books I did read this year. There's one called deploy empathy by Michelle Hansen. Um, it's actually all about um, interviewing customers. But I, listen, I just read the part around the interviewing process because mm. I found that the way she posed the questions and talked to people was, it was next level. I heard her on the Internet Hackers podcast um, talking about the book she'd written and some of the stuff she'd built based on, you know, all the exercises. And just listen to her conversation on the podcast. I was like, whoa, she's captivating. I love the way the communication's going between her and, um, oh, what's his name? The guy, the host, uh, come to me later. Anyway, yeah, the host of Indie Hackers, that he, yeah. he was captivated by her and he's a seasoned podcaster. This is brilliant. So I really recommend her stuff. I think Michelle Hans is one to watch. Um, and there was a few books around time management and action sort of lists and stuff like that, which I'm quite obsessive about. So I like mm. to dig into them occasionally, just to scan through like, yep, cool, I like that. Let's take, take that little trick, done. Definitely. I've got to ask you what, what fiction books you're reading at the moment as well, though. Oh, there's, a, there's an author called A.G. Riddle, and he's, doing, he's done some amazing sort of trilogies around, actually, it's quite contentious, about a pandemic that's <laughs> hit the planet. <laughs> but it's it's a little bit like if Bill Gates was planting those things into us with the COVID. It's, it's almost <laughs> like that. But they kind of you spot it around to like they've, they've identified the purpose of life and why the universe exists. 
Brilliant. It's very, very far-fetched. But what I like about this AG Riddle, he comes from a tech background and he's got sort of an entrepreneurial spirit about him. So he can, I, I just love how he uses his knowledge in that world and being really honest around, oh yeah, this startup situation and the, the way the tech sets up and, you know, how how people are using the, the technology. This is more, this is real. This is not like fan, fantasy. This is how it is. That's really cool. Like trolling the uh, the conspiracy theorists. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, I read it, I picked it up after the pandemic started. Anyway, has anyone who's got into it? Way, because he wrote this four or five years ago before it all happened. So it's like, it was way ahead of the time. But it's so scary. Like, yeah, yeah pandemics have affected six billion people. Interesting. What are we going to do about it? <laughs> I think I think that wraps us up nicely. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, you, you're taking the time; it's flown by, hasn't it? It just goes by when you're on this side of the, the podcast. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak to us today and uh, share your thoughts, knowledge, background. Um, it, it's been really, really interesting. Where can people find you? You said you host your own podcast. So where can people listen to you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Sai. Always been proud of that handle. Fifteen years old next week, by the way. Wow. I just realised. Got yeah, early. Very early. I think eleven thousand or something like that number. Nice. Um, so yeah, reach out to me on there. Um, do make sure that I'm following you because I get a lot of spam that I can't have to filter through with that land name, unfortunately. Um, you can always email me Sai at joblin.com as well because that's that comes straight to me. No spam at all. The podcast, Make Life Work, is at makelifeworkpodcast.com. Um, it's, we've just wrapped up seven seasons now. I'm taking a bit of a break to work out what to do next in the next year. So um, watch this space. Uh, and if anyone is listening and would like to join, shameless plug, give me, Absolutely. A, give me a nudge um, and we'll get chatting. Because um, I am just genuinely looking for a good mix of people to talk about how they find time for side projects. That's pretty much what, what the, the purpose is of the podcast. I think the tech audience uh, are ripe for that sort of podcast, if I'm being honest. There's uh, side projects all over the place, which is where a lot of our innovation comes from. It should do. And that's why I like to talk about it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Sai. As I said, I, I will post all, uh, all that information in the, uh, in the show notes, along with book recommendations and podcasts, uh, and of course, your, uh, where we can find you. So once again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and until the next time, thank you and goodbye. Cheers, Matt. Been a pleasure.